You're listening to a Southside Baptist Church podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. Amen. If you would, remain standing and take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Mark chapter 4. And boy, what a great worship service. Uh, I'm going to give my notes to Sheila. Because um, when I bought this Bible, I, I, I was telling Chip Henderson one day, I said, Chip, I'm going to, as I kind of go in these last few years of my ministry, I'm going to do a lot more preaching without notes. And so today, in the last several weeks I've been doing that, I might get up here with just a little bit of notes, but very little, because I just want to, uh, just want to be dependent upon the Lord just completely and totally. Now, in, in preaching terms, we call this extemporaneous preaching. And it's good to have Ron here today. Ron, Sandy, and, and their daughter Hannah, it's good to see you here. We want you to know Ron is a pastor and has a love for the Lord, so it's good to see you here, brother. And, you know, it's always fun preaching to preachers. Uh, it's always a lot of fun because they, they, when they say amen, it's like saying sick them to a dog. You know, it just gets you excited. So you feel free, brother. But anyway, we call it extemporaneous preaching because what you do, you just study, 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 read, 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 pack your brain full of stuff, and then you just simply say, Lord, now I'm going to get up here, and however it comes out, that's going to be the way it is. Years ago, a man by the name of Sonny Jurgensen, if you're an old NFL uh, follower, this guy, I think he played as quarterback for the Washington Redskins. He was an unbelievable quarterback, a great guy, and uh, he just was having some bad games. I mean, things were not going well for Sonny. And, and so one day after a bad game, an interviewer came up, a commentator came up, it may have been ESPN or whoever, this has been years ago, and they began to talk to him about how the crowd was taunting him and making fun of him and you know, the people in Washington, they were just laughing and carrying on. And it was just really a bad day for this quarterback of the Redskins. But this guy was a really unique individual, big old, big old kind of happy-go-lucky kind of guy. And he just smiled. He looked up at that crowd, and then he looked at this reporter, and he said, you know, he said, some days you're in the penthouse, and some days you're in the outhouse. How many of you know what an outhouse is? How many of you have ever been in an outhouse? Well, okay, I never understood a two-seater. I just never understood that. That was ladies only. I still don't understand it. I just can't imagine me sitting there doing business and somebody sitting next to me. I mean, you know, now maybe I'm a little private individual, but I just can't remember that. Now, Jesus is dealing with that kind of crowd. And we've seen conflict in, in Mark chapter 3 because the conflict comes as the Pharisees and the Herodians. You know, when people hate somebody, they can really get a group together, can't they? You know, hate 
can be a strong unifying factor. And I told you this, in family counseling, we, you have what you call a fighting family. A fighting family is a dysfunctional family that identifies something that they all hate together and it kind of draws them together. It took the scribes, the Pharisees, Sadducees, Sanhedrin, it took all of them to come together in order to crucify Jesus. Hate is a powerful glue in many ways, but love is a lot greater glue. Jesus had a lot of criticism. This was a crisis. People were there. They were basically trying to kill him. And if he couldn't get any worse, his own family came and said he was mad, he was beside himself, and they wanted to take him back home. So he had the deck stacked against him. The crowd was very fickle. So here you come to Mark chapter 4, and Jesus begins to speak here about that crowd, and perhaps he even alluded to his own family. Now, in Mark chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, and Jesus began to teach by the lake. Remember, the crowd was so extensive that what he had his disciples do is he had, and in the Greek, the, the language of it, the tense of it here, is the disciples were right on. Now, this part of Israel is almost designed like an amphitheater. It is naturally designed for somebody to stand on a shoreline and speak to people. But in this case, the crowd was pressing because to touch Jesus was to be healed. So Jesus tells his disciples, he said, listen, you take a rowboat, a little small boat, and you put it off to the side, and if the crowd presses too closely, I'm just going to step off into that boat and continue to teach. Because that was primarily what he was sent to do. So here he is, he's teaching to this crowd. And again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat, he sat in and out on the lake. While all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. You can just see that scene. He taught them many things by parables. That word parabolo, it means to throw something alongside of something. Para means alongside of. He's going to throw a common everyday occurrence next to a spiritual truth in order to teach something. So he said in his teaching, said, listen, a farmer went out to sow seed. As he was scattering the seed, some seed fell along the path. And the birds came and ate it up. Some seed fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came out and the plants, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which, which grew up and choked the plants so that it did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, it produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, or even 100 times. Then Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now he goes on in verse 13, picking up there, Jesus then said to them, don't you understand this parable? Because the di disciples undoubtedly came to Jesus afterwards. Maybe some of the crowd said, we don't understand. What did you mean by that parable there? He said, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the what? Say it with me. Sows the what? He sows the word. 
The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, who comes? Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others like seed sown on rocky places. They hear the word and at once they receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. And when trouble and persecution comes because of the word, then they quickly fall away. Still others like seed sown among thorns hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of, of wealth and the desire for other things come up and choke the word and make it unfruitful. Others like seed sown on good soil, they hear the word, they accept it and produce a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you. We love you. We give you glory. And Lord, you alone are worthy. And we pray now that you'll use this. Lord, forgive me. Cleanse me of any thought, any deed, any idle word. Let me be a tool, a vessel in your hand. And dear Lord, make the hearts fertile to your word. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. You know, you just, you just picture this scene here. Jesus, as he now is seated in this boat, and he perhaps could have been talking to thousands of people, and maybe people were beginning to leave. Now let me tell you something. A crowd does not always mean success. I think one of the problems today in ministry, and Ron, uh, me and you've probably talked about this, I know Reggie and I have. The problems in ministry today is, the, the, is discouragement. We live in a day where Americans are fickle. They, they'll quickly jump from this congregation to that congregation. They'll swap out one leader after another. They see themselves as somewhat like a consumer. They're not a congregant, they're a consumer. And they basically come to kind of judge and, and weigh, and, and, they're kind of, and they kind of have the church in the test tube. They're looking at the preacher. They're looking at the administrative tasks that are being done. They're looking at some of the ministries that primarily are focused on them and their needs. And if they're happy, they'll stay there for a while. But they're just as fickle to get up and move somewhere else. And if they can't, if they can't move or they don't want to move, then they move the man behind the pulpit just the way we are. The Bible says the church of Laodicea, that word Laodicea means the people ruled. They, they made their own decisions. And guess where Jesus was? He was outside the door of that church. He wasn't even a part of it. So crowds are fickled. And so Jesus here is speaking to the crowd and sending a message to his disciples. And what he does, parabolo, he takes a simple everyday occurrence and he throws it right next to a spiritual truth to talk about crowds. And he, be, and he starts off by saying this. He said, there's a farmer. And perhaps the crowd could see a farmer on that Galilean hillside. And that farmer would go out and he'd have a, he'd have a sling with a bag. And as he got his soil ready, he would go out with that seed and he would begin to broadcast that seed. He'd just take that seed, he'd just throw it anywhere. He'd throw it across the path, he'd throw it among the thorns, he'd throw it anywhere and everywhere. Now, Bob Utley, who's a, a, great, uh, a great former seminary professor, he said that what a farmer would do in these days, he would just plow his field. He would plow across the path, he would plow through the 
thorns. He would just plow across the rocky ground. He just plowed everywhere, and then he'd just go out and throw the seed. And so this farmer is reaching into that bag, and he's throwing the seed, and the seed is what? Seed is the Word of God, this right here. It's the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. And every single one of us are farmers today. We all have a sack hanging on our side. Now, we can choose to broadcast it or not. Now, note here, this man did He wasn't selective. He wasn't sparing with the seed. He was almost, he was almost just... He just almost acted as if the seed had a bottomless... I mean, he just had as much seed as he wanted to throw. He was just slinging it everywhere. And that's a picture of you and I. We don't go over there and dig a little place over here in our workplace and say, well, this person, I, I think they're ready. Let me put a little seed right there. We just throw the seed everywhere. We throw it in the classroom, in schools. We, we throw it at our workplace. We throw it as we're standing in line at Walmart. It may be as simple as looking at somebody when the, wait, when the, la the lady waiting on us this past week, Sheila and I, I think it was Friday, we were in Walmart. Every opportunity is a witness and to spread the seed. And this woman, was, she had a bad cold. And you could tell it. Her face was red. She didn't feel good. She had a bad cold. Sheila began to show concern for her, began to talk to her, and then ultimately began to say, listen, I'm going to pray for you today. People up and down that line were listening. Why? Because somebody's throwing seed. They just throw it everywhere. They're not concerned about the condition of the soil. They're just in the business of just scattering seed. That's you and I. That's all we do. That's what we're here for. When they, uh, hey, listen, if you hadn't eaten in Marge's, you need to go. Man, I'm going to tell you what, I love going to Marge's to eat. And one of the things that I love when I go into Marge's is just the feeling. It's almost therapeutic to me uh, as far as a believer of just resting. There's a peace in that place. It's in the uh, outlet mall over here. Is that enough of a commercial for you? I'm trying to help you out. <laughs> Okay, and uh, do you want to give your menu after the service? We, can, we might be able to, you know. But what I love about Marge is Marge just, she just throws seed. She just smiles and looks like a Christian and shows concern for people, black, white, rich, poor, young, old, just coming in and out of there. She's not bothered by who they are, what they look like. She's just throwing seed. So this is the farmer. And Jesus was saying to the disciples that, we're farmers. Now he goes on to talk about the condition of the soil that this farmer is having to deal with because he's also speaking about the crowd. He said some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown and as soon as they hear it, who comes? Satan. You know, Jesus said, you know, I remember at Mississippi State, they had uh, across that courtyard, they had all those paths you know, they'd have all those nice sidewalks where, you know, I guess they thought we walk in 90-degree angles. We go across this way, then we turn to Lee Hall, and we go this way. But, you know, we're not like that. We're like cattle, aren't we? We're just like cattle. And, you know, no matter how hard they try, and I used to think to myself, you know, it seemed like they'd get smart about this and figure out where these paths are and put down sidewalks where the paths are. But we're like that. 
And so this farmer had a problem. One of the problems was is that people were always walking across his field. Now often the field would be bordered by the path. And so he had pathways around his field. He had pathways down to the middle of his field. And so as this farmer is casting his seed and it falls on that hard, just concrete hard soil that's been packed down repeatedly because of people walking through it, this farmer recognizes that he takes about four or five steps and he looks back and the birds are behind him picking up the seed, devouring it. And Jesus said to his disciples, he said, you know, that's the way it is in life. You and I have to understand that some of that crowd that we're talking to and beating us up and kicking us around, some of them... You can't permeate the gospel in their hearts. Their hearts are hard. And some of the hardest people are in churches. They've been inoculated against the real thing. But I thought about something here. How many of us allow people to track through our paths, track through our hearts, beating down, pounding, and making our hearts insensitive and impregnable to, the, to what God may be trying to teach us. Let me ask you something. Who do you read? Who do you watch? What music do you listen to? What things do you allow to come into your heart that beat your heart down and make it kind of hard and sensitive to where the gospel, maybe this morning, can't permeate your heart where God's trying to teach you something and he can't teach you. But this is also the individual who is, they're not saved, They don't want to be saved. They don't care nothing about what you have to say. They're cold, they're hard, and you just... You ever seen in in the farming community, I love this. Nowadays, we have dually, we have, you know, dual front wheels, dual back wheels, four-wheel drives. I mean, they have tractors today that are unbelievable. How many of you have ever seen a chisel plow? You know what I'm talking about? A chisel plow is unlike, it's not a disc. It's not a regular plow. A chisel plow is the kind of plow that goes down, and I mean when it literally would go through a stump. It will turn and roll that dirt over no matter how hard and packed it is. Do you know in Jeremiah chapter 4, do you know what Jeremiah told the people? He said, plow your own hearts. Make your hearts fertile. So Jesus was saying, listen, in a crowd like this, and remember, these were religious leaders. He said, some are, they're hard, they're they're cold, they're like that path. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes along and takes it up, and just no sooner, and it's put down. Just lays on the surface. But then, verse 16, others like seeds sown on rocky places. Hear the word, and at once they receive it with what? They receive it, and the NIV, it says, with joy. One writer, one one of our... um, Translation says, with great emotion. You ever seen these people? You know, I remember John MacArthur wrote a book called The Gospel According to Jesus. And John MacArthur is an outspoken Calvinist, but boy, he made the Calvinists, I mean, angry. I mean, buddy, they went after him with everything they had when he wrote the gospel according to Jesus because it eluded, and Ron's a Methodist. And uh, Doug, you got some company here. But 
you know, our Methodists believe in the Arminian. They, they, they lean that direction. And some, you know, are Calvinists, some are Arminian, some are kind of between the two. And, 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 and so uh, the Arminians were saying, Amen, go John MacArthur. The Calvinists were upset. And I heard John MacArthur make his defense before a council because he was called onto the carpet about it. But the point was this. When you look at this passage here, you realize something that sometimes we see salvation as germination rather than fruition, the bearing of fruit. In other words, for some people, they look back and they say, man, I had this experience years ago. Now I've been living like the devil ever since. There's absolutely no spiritual fruit in their life whatsoever. They don't care about lost people. They don't go to church. They never give a dime. They don't, there's no spiritual fruit in their life. But you, you corner them and they'll look at you and say, yes, I'm a Christian. When I was a boy, a preacher came and evangelist came and preached. And I went down that aisle and I was saved and I was baptized. But there is absolutely no fruit whatsoever in their life. And you know what Jesus was saying? He said, this is like some people in the crowd. They're like old. You see, in that limestone in the, in the Middle East, it was, just, it was just, just deep enough that that New Testament farmer, when he run his plow through there, it didn't reach the limestone. He didn't even know what was under there. And what would happen is, is the sun would come out and it would begin to heat up that limestone and that seed laying in that fertile layer of ground, it, Jesus said it would spring up. They all knew what he was talking about. It would spring up quickly. It went, now listen to this. It went up, it didn't go down. This is the person who Jesus said they received the word and they receive it with great emotion. It goes up. But there's no root. This is not, hey, listen, let me tell you what God can handle. God can handle your doubts. He just doesn't like your unbelief. This is a person, they don't think through salvation. They don't think through the cost. They're not, they're not, they're not thinking about all of that. They just simply think, well, this is a good business deal. This may help me in my business. This may help me in relationships. This may help me fix my marriage. This may help me fix the finances that are in a mess. So, so I'm, going to, I'm going to follow through with this decision, but they have no idea of the cost. And there's a cost. And Jesus said, others like seeds sown on rocky places hear the word and at once receive it with joy, but since they have the, no root, they last only a short time. Now look at this, look at verse 17. When what comes? When trouble or persecution comes. Now watch this, look at this, everybody look at this, because of what? Because of the word. This is the person that identifies with Jesus Christ. But the decision is not real. It doesn't take root. It doesn't bear fruit. This is a person who comes with great emotion. They get all excited. Man, they, they're just filled with all kinds of excitement and joy. Man, they look like they're going to burn up the woods. They're plugged into this committee, that ministry. Boy, they're just doing this, doing that. Then the first time trials, difficulties, struggles 
persecution begins to come because of the word, because they have identified with Jesus Christ. They say, well, wait, 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 wait a minute. I didn't, know it was, I didn't know it was going to be like this. And they're gone. You know what John the Beloved said? They went out from among us because they were not of us. Had they been of us, they would not have gone out from us. And because they went out from us, they revealed what they are. Let me tell you something. Jesus is not... Listen, remember this. John 6, 66. John chapter 6, verse 66. The Bible said that Jesus was pastoring a megachurch. He had literally thousands and thousands of men and women, boys and girls, in that congregation. When he brought up the sacrifice of his death, the Bible said that thousands began to walk away to where only he was sitting there and with a pew with 12 men sitting there. They're sitting there, well, they're thinking to themselves, they're thinking, well, what, I wonder what he's going to do now. Man, he just ran off the whole church. How are we going to pay the bills? We've got to make budget. Judas is really upset because he's the keeper of the purse. He's thinking to himself, man, you need to, you need to go to some leadership conference and, and you need to learn some things because you sure blew it. And about that time, Jesus walks over to them and he has the audacity to look at the twelve and say, will you also go away? You guys want to leave too? There they go. You follow them and old Peter's sitting there Peter comes to his feet and he said, Jesus, to whom shall we go? Where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. My friend, let me tell you something. Sometimes crowds don't mean nothing. You may feel isolated, alone, persecuted. You may be in a difficult time right now, but you're hanging on to Jesus. You're hanging on to your faith. You're still walking by grace through faith in your relationship with Christ. You're dry. Hey, listen, when doubt comes, you know what you do? You just start digging deeper, driving down your roots. More anchored. But not this person. First sign of cost, I'm out of here. And then Jesus said the third soil, he said, verse 18, still others like seed among, sown among thorns. They hear the word, a cool in the Greek. They hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things come in and they choke the word and make it unfruitful. I wish I had my phone. You got your phone? Don't you, don't you, uh, this, is, this, is the, the, this is the average conversation nowadays, okay, I'm, CJ's daughter's asleep, so I don't want to wake her. You can actually play my sermons on the website and it helps children go to sleep. <laughs> but anyway, is this not the way it is now? Look, watch this. You meet somebody, you're talking to somebody, and they're constantly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that's good. That's good. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, yeah, well, you know... Um, 
Yeah, well, I can I can understand how you would feel that way, and uh, I, I realize. Yeah, you you you've got a problem. You get you got a, you got a big problem. Hang. <laughs> Do you like talking to those kind of people? No, it just grate on your nerves. Now, some of you may be going preaching. You're a little too close to home because that's me. But you see, that's what Jesus. It's like somebody sitting in worship. They're not, re- they're not singing the words. They're not lifting their hands. Doug, I get tickled at Doug because Doug's got to clap. Doug said the Costa Ricans have taught him how to clap. Now, the Africans over in Zimbabwe, they say a white man will never learn how to clap <laughs> and, and, and sing. They said we can't do it. We can't sing and clap at the same time. But anyway, can you imagine people sitting in church and doing... You know, can you imagine Jesus Christ showing up at your home and you've got the TV blaring so loud that He can't even hardly be heard. You've got music playing. You've got other distractions. And you see, this is what Jesus was saying. He was saying in a crowd like this, He said, there's some people, they'll make a decision. Oh, they'll make a decision. They'll follow for a while. But the first time the cost comes, in other words, when they begin to have to lay down some old habits, old attitudes, old prejudice, when they have to all of a sudden begin to analyze their life, when the Holy Spirit begins to start cleaning up, working in their life, when they begin to realize that the number one priority in their life has to be Jesus Christ and everything else has to fall under that and they begin to realize the cost of their business, immediately their thought is, I can't do this. can't do this. Just too much to give up. You know how many people have said that to a preacher? Preacher, I know what you're saying is probably right, but I've just got too much to give up. Uh, I've got a drug habit. I've got an alcohol habit. Pastor, you don't know how much I enjoy sex. I love sleeping around pastor. I don't want to give that up. Pastor, I love going to the boat. I love gambling. Pastor, there's just too many things to give up to identify with Jesus Christ. And this idea of going to church and, and serving the Lord, it just really, I, I, you know, I did it for a while. But it, hey, listen, you ever heard people say this? I did it for a while, but it just didn't work out. I always think that's like when your kids get to be teenagers and you go back to the hospital and you're standing outside the window. You remember when your kids are, you remember when they're born? Family, everybody's together, you're giddy, you're looking through the, you're looking through the glass, and they're saying, they're holding, the nurse is holding them up, and they're, they're cleaning them up and getting them all ready. They says, yeah, yeah, they are. And you're going, hey, that's, that's, that's mine. It's <laughs> my, my boy. It's my girl. And they're getting pictures, you standing in front of the window, you know, and you get all that. And, and then you take that thing home. And you deal with colic. And you have an explosive diarrhea diaper that goes out of the sides. We were at a deacon social last week and got ready to go, and I love little Titus. He came running up to me, and Bell's already laughing. Me and him had been playing, and I reached down there, and I grabbed him up and kissed him. About that time, I realized he had an unbelievable diaper. That diaper was going everywhere. And I went, oh, oh, and put him down and went over and began to wash up because the smell was all over me. <laughs> Let me say something. Jesus Christ never does that to his kids. 
What I sat down, Alicia immediately picked up and began to clean up and take care of. That's love. You know, we go to that window, we think to ourselves, man, this is, oh, this is so great. Then all of a sudden we deal with colic in the middle of the night. We begin to walk them through, taking them to school the first day. We begin to go through all of it, and then we come to the teenage years. James Dobson said when they turn 13, put them in a barrel with a hole in it and feed them through the hole. <laughs> James Dobson said when they turn 16, plug up the hole. But can you imagine a parent with a 16-year-old teenager going back to the window and standing there and saying, there is a return policy here, isn't it? <laughs> Why? Because you and I recognize something about the love of a parent. You don't wash your hands of that love when the cost begins to come. In fact, what happens is you love even more. You see, let me tell you something. What I put down, Alicia didn't just, she didn't just pick him up. She picked him up and loved on him while he was filthy. Let me tell you something about your Lord and Savior. That's how he is with you and I. Sometimes we may have a soiled diaper from the world. We may stink to everybody else, but he still loves us. Well, he comes to the last soil, and he said, but some fell on good soil. And he said, it yielded. Now, let me tell you something real quick, quickly, and we'll close. I have to be careful how I say that because Jeffrey will, man, he'll run down here. I think, you, I think some of y'all pay him to come down here and get behind me. He's leaving. He's actually up in the sound room. He's going around there. So let me hurry up. The average crop yield in that day was 8 to 10. 8 to 1 or 10 to 1. Jesus said These, this fruit is 100-fold, 60-fold, 30-fold. Even 30-fold was unbelievable. Hey, listen, it doesn't matter how much fruit we're producing as long as we're producing fruit. And you may say, well, wait a minute, you mean that, does that mean sharing your faith? That's part of it, but it means fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, self-control. You know, those things, those fruits of the Spirit. And when you and I open up and plow our hearts and we make our hearts receptive and the seed of the gospel permeates and takes root and begins to bear fruit, everybody knows it. You don't have to tell people that you're a Christian. Let's stand. I was reading a story about George Whitfield. Now, George Whitfield was an unbelievable preacher. He would draw crowds. It was said that Whitfield's voice was the most powerful voice that had ever been written or chronicled in all of history. This guy had a voice to where he could preach to over 100,000 people without any sound equipment whatsoever. He was unbelievable. On his deathbed in Georgia, he's dying. He's on his deathbed. The day he died, they said that a crowd had gathered outside that antebellum home to hear and were begging Whitfield to preach. He's laying on his deathbed. When he's told that, he gets up and he stands at the top of that old tiny, tiny, uh, that old tiny antebellum home, you know, that big flowing stairwell, and all those doors were open, and that voice of his just rolled down that stairwell, went out into that crowd of, they said, over 10,000 people. And people came to Christ. 
One man said that he heard Whitfield. He didn't want to hear him. He said that Whitfield was preaching in one of those massive tens of thousands of people there in London. And while he was preaching, he said that he came up. He was a businessman. He was walking through. And, and he just had such hate and disdain for Whitfield and for the gospel that he did this. He was walking through the crowd like this when all of a sudden a fly got on his nose. True story. And so he flicked his hand at the fly and the fly kept coming around and he flicked and started doing this. And about that time when he did that, uh, George Whitfield said something, a verse, a passage of Scripture, perhaps it was, ye must be born again. And when he said that, it convicted his heart and that man made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ and became a prominent Christian businessman. Somebody asked him one time, said, how were you saved? He said, bye, fly. <laughs> God loves you. He loves you. And He wants you to be saved. He wants you to walk with Him. He wants to be everything that His purpose and His plan for your life is. And you may feel right now that you don't have no purpose, no plan. You may feel like right now you've been so kicked around by the world. You may think, I don't know, but I'm going to tell you something. You in this room have been called just as God told Jeremiah. He said, Jeremiah, I called you in the womb. I knew you before you were ever born. I had a plan and a purpose for your life. You may have hit some hard times, but listen to me. You have an enemy. And that enemy will do everything he can to discourage you and defeat you. Don't let him. We talked, we sung about the devil, the enemy running. How, why, when does the Bible tell us the enemy runs? When? The Bible says that we are to resist the devil. Stand against him. And the Bible says that he'll flee, not us. We're not doing no running. We don't run from the enemy. The enemy runs from us. Do you know him? Is he in your heart today? Is he speaking to you now? Would this be the day that you would give your life to Christ and begin to serve him from this day forward? Only you know that. You and the Holy Spirit, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you, and Lord, we love you and we praise you. Lord, we thank you for your word, how it speaks to our hearts. And Lord, we just can see Jesus, a smile on his face, as he's seated there in a boat, speaking to crowds of people. He's not bothered by the crowd. He's not bothered by people who leave and walk away. He's not bothered by the difficulty, dear Lord, because in his heart he knows that there in the preaching and the broadcasting of the seed, there's that one in four. There's that one in four that will make a positive response to the gospel and be saved. Lord, I pray today if there's one here that doesn't know you, and you've spoken to their heart today. You've reminded them. Maybe they've looked back over their life and they said, you know what, I, I just really don't know whether I'm saved or not. God does not want us to live that way. This could be the day that we settle our salvation. As Adrian Rogers said, that great preacher of Bellevue there in Memphis, he said, some of us need to drive down a tent peg. We need to drive down a stake and say, I settled it today, this day. And Lord, may we do some fruit inspection.
For some of us, we may look at fruit and don't see any. We just happen to be here today. And God, you've reminded us because there's no fruit, it's because we don't have no root. We're not truly saved. We need to be saved today. For others in this room, perhaps they've quenched and grieved the Holy Spirit and you've spoken to their heart. It's time to make some changes. Lord, we love you. We give you all the glory for this invitation. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.